Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Pumping once, now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has it. He's going in for a touchdown. The Bulls have won the game. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing deep down the left side. Slaughter is open. He got the ball. My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan, getting more and more excited as we close in on draft day. My name is Thelonious7, and you, you're listening to Straight No Chaser on the DBN Network. It's Easter weekend, and I trust that everybody's having a blessed and joyous weekend, including our AFC North rivals. So... I mean, it's pretty obvious. The draft is coming up in less than a month, and I wanted to take this opportunity in the first few minutes of the show uh, to commit to an appearance on Facebook chat or Skype or whatever way it is that I can talk to Easy Weave during the draft extravaganza here on the DBN Network. I must say that last year's show was the single greatest piece of audio entertainment that it's ever made its way into my ears. I will never forget the commitment that Forth had doing that show in bed while his girlfriend slept next to him. I mean, the length that commenters on the DBN network go to bring you the most authentic Brown coverage. I mean, it's really astounding. Easy began uh, his marathon coverage of the draft last year uh, pretty much as soon as the Super Bowl ended. And he continually covered the event for a full 90 days. I was able to speak with him for about an hour. And it was certainly the highlight of my DBN career. So I want to make sure that Easy knows that I want to be there. I want to be there. I think that the, the, the day is like the 26th of this month. I want to be there and, and be able to talk to him and, and give my opinion so we can all have a a really special show that really commemorates or really talks about what we're going to do this year uh, for the draft coverage. I got some scheduling conflicts on that Saturday, and I kind of hate how that works out, man. You know, I agreed to go, but I don't know why people chose to be born on a draft weekend. What were people thinking? Certainly in this show today, I want to muse a little bit about the fourth and the first picks in the draft, really about the draft altogether. But you know, I, I kind of feel like we spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about round one in this draft. I mean, really though, rightfully so. As, as much as I appreciate the top of the draft, I also like some other players in this draft for this team. And I really wanted to get some time to talk about some guys lower on in the draft, lower on in this in this in this uh, 
draft process that we should be looking at as an organization. Get through to some of the day two guys, I would suppose. Looking at it right now, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on our last show. We got glaring holes, of course, at quarterback, left tackle, running back, defensive tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, perhaps linebacker or defensive end, safety, and then one position that we really don't spend a lot of time talking about, pump returner, kick returner. And as of right now, early in April, we have nine picks in this draft. The first one, of course, is at quarterback. Basically, everybody seems to assume that the Browns are going to select the quarterback number one. And if you think about it, in some ways, this might be a dig at Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it seems like a foregone conclusion that the first pick in this draft is going to be a quarterback. And I'd be absolutely shocked if anything else happened. This is what people said in Buffalo about Tyrod Taylor. And this is pretty much why I think, you know, as much as people have been excited about bringing this guy into the organization, you know, I'm pretty much sure that the Browns have to do something at quarterback for a long-term option, obviously because Taylor's not really going to give us something, uh, something that we can be too excited about as fans. Here is an article that I I found... um, from one of the Buffalo papers uh, where one of the commenters was talking about their frustration with Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. And he starts it off like this. He says, Enough has to be enough now. It's time to try something different because three years of Taylor has seen Buffalo's pass offense regress from 28th to 30th to 31st this season. The Bills have changed head coaches, offensive coordinators, and receivers, and still, they're spinning their wheels in an era where you have to be able to throw the ball to win. If this is the end of Taylor and Buffalo, let me say, it wasn't all terrible. He was a master at not turning the ball over, throwing only 17 interceptions as a Bill. He did help the Bills end their 17-year playoff drought. And... He was a dynamic athlete to watch, and on many days, his mad dash to avoid sacks and pick up first downs were the best part of Buffalo's offense. But that just isn't a sustainable model for a productive offense in the NFL. And he went on to talk a little bit more about Taylor's final game in a Buffalo uniform. Game against the Jaguars, where he said, Sunday was essentially a microcosm of his three years here. He made some great plays with his legs, and he kept the Bills competitive in the game. However, he misfired far too many passes and failed to see open receivers and had only a few plays that he did throw the ball downfield as his longest completion on that day was only for 16 yards. Taylor has been an exemplary locker room leader and a terrific young man in the community, pleasant enough in his dealings with the media and occasionally a fun player to watch, but I'm done. And so too should be the Bills. And that was the opinion 
of Sal Moriana in the Democrat Chronicle basically talking about his frustration with Tyrod Taylor. And for me, I felt like that was some pretty serious criticism. And while some folks like Joe Thomas, you know, a guy who I love uh, on the Tomahawk show, really uh, spoke out uh, in support of bringing in Tyrod Taylor. The fact that we're going to, at one, pick a quarterback pretty much no matter what says what we need to know about the future of Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland. We've had discussions about one pretty much ever since uh, it became clear that we were going to get the pick. And as soon as Samuel Darnold declared for the draft, I've been pretty steadfast in my support for him. It's a really a weird situation uh, because as much as I've supported Sam Darnold, I feel like I haven't really talked that much or you know came out that clearly into the reasons as to why I'm so firm in my support for this guy. And, and I am pretty firm. My, my, my opinion's pretty strong. I guess last year was a little bit, is it was, I don't know, a little bit like this. There was a, a period of time last year where I felt that the Browns Maybe you should consider Solomon Thomas at the top of the draft. You know, and I got to the point where I was almost ready to switch, but I never really did, like, come to a point where I changed my opinion. And I pretty much feel the same way about Sam Darnold. I feel like there may be some other prospects maybe that we could look at and maybe we could consider. And I'm not 1,000% sold with this guy. Maybe something could come along or happen that could get me to shift my perspective. There's a couple other really nice prospects in this draft. But for me, I've been pretty steadfast in my support of this guy. And for me, it's been about his leadership. You know, I I know a lot of people uh, have lamented, I mean, especially right after it happened, people really lamented his performance against Ohio State. But to me, when I watched that game, I got down with Sam Darnold because of just how serious the guys on his team were down to fight for. I listen to him at his pressers, and I hear pretty much what I need to hear. Darnold is the prospect with the best disposition to play in Cleveland. He can handle the highs. He can handle the lows. He has the frame to handle the abuse he would have to take playing in the AFC North. And we'll get the group to buy in the way. So he'll get the group here in Cleveland to buy into him the way that they did at USC. He's going to bring the guys back from behind. And the guy's not a perfect prospect. But when he made mistakes, it seemed like he made them trying to do too much. He turned the ball over way, way, way too much. And at some point during the last year, it looked like his confidence was pretty shaken. But the bottom line is, in my opinion or in my assessment, he is a rare prospect in terms of his makeup. And, and it's a way that really hurt guys like Johnny Menzel and Deshaun Kaiser in the past. Once the brain trust, once Dorsey and his uh, crew get to know this guy, they're going to be all too comfortable with the person that is Sam Darnold and the remarkable high floor that Sam Darnold brings to the NFL. And I think that that high floor is going to be enough to get them to pull the trigger on him at number one. But you know, as much as I like Darnold, like I was saying before, I really have spent most of my time 
either railing against Baker Mayfield, who, thank you, Easy Weed, I've softened my position on in the past, and also spending a lot of time, thanks to Minaku on the Chow, defending Josh Allen, who, for some reason, I started feeling like I wouldn't really mind having this guy at the number one pick. But right now, I don't want to get too much into this line of thinking here. Let's just say that for now, Darnold with Allen or Mayfield as soon as all suitable alternatives are pretty much a foregone conclusion at pick number one. We can stop there with that. But if I were to rank the rest of the needs on this team, with questions that we have about the team as it's made up right now after free agency, I would do it like this. I would say first and foremost, right now, the number one need on this team is that left tackle. And I wouldn't say that I'm for sure that left tackle is a need. I mean, right now it looks like Sean Coleman penciled in to be the starter there. Yeah, but first, yeah, of course, I would say the biggest need I would say is left tackle. After that, I would say it's defensive tackle, thanks to the move of Shelton, which I'll talk about in a bit. Number three, I would say, would be cornerback. Having a lockdown, solid, shutdown corner would be a huge, huge benefit for this roster. Right after that, I would say the Browns have needs at the skill positions on offense, being wide receiver, at least one, and a running back as well. Peripherally, however, there are a couple of other needs as well. I could definitely see a, a space for a safety, a defensive end, a tight end even, and perhaps, and actually this is like one of the things that we sleep we sleep on, a pump return or a kick return. So for me, I'm going to go through these positions one by one and talk about players in the draft that may be able to help the Browns out as we move forward into the 2018 season. Now, with the Browns stay put, they can think about uh, the top two to select, uh, sorry, the top two in the second round to select a left tackle. Only, I'm not sure how enamored I would be uh, at the top of the second round, the pool of talents actually remaining there. Guys like uh, Connor Williams from Texas and McGlinchey should both be gone at that time. You know, I like some of the developmental prospects in the draft. Guys like Brandon Parker from North Carolina A&T. Yeah, he's a guy who has prototypical size and looks absolutely amazing and plays with a mean streak against questionable competition. And I'm just not sure where that type of guy is going to end up going in the draft. And it looks like the Browns won't have a lot of choices on day three. But... Brandon Parker would be a guy that I would love to see on this roster as a developmental prospect. Colton Miller is also a very good athlete, uh, but really the issue of how to replace Thomas on this roster is a huge and poignant one. I mean, I felt like the play of the Browns went down significantly when they had to replace Thomas with Durango last year. And I think that if they don't find a way to address left tackle, this could derail a ton of progress that's been made to the offense this offseason. Like I said before, the second position that looks a little sketchy on the Browns right now is uh, one that was made uh, apparently by the trade of Shelton. 
It's especially bad because defensive tackle this year looks a little sketchy in the draft class. Um, Tavon Bryan seems to be like he might be there at the top of round two, although he is a guy who could end up going a little bit earlier at the end of round one. As there seem to be so few players with that skill set of a penetrating defensive tackle prospect to be available in this draft. Yeah, earlier on, I felt like I stated that Dorsey has done more right than wrong this offseason thus far, especially with free agency selection that he's made. And I would say if there's one thing I didn't like, it's creating a weakness at defensive tackle. And I think that maybe this might have been a stylistic issue. It looks like Shelton was maybe more suited to play a traditional 3-4 nose tackle. And perhaps they might want to target a penetrating guy like Brian. And I even saw that they targeted Vita V, uh, which I wouldn't actually mind at all. And while I think he projects to be maybe a better version of Shelton, I can't understand why they would create a deficit in a draft class with so few options. And I know I'm talking a little bit about Brian right now, but I know that there's a guy named Hurst out of Michigan who might be able to solve a need for us in this position. Uh, although the medical situation seems to be a little bit questionable with him having the heart concerns. Uh, apparently those things have been cleared up. Apparently he'd been able to run at his pro day. And perhaps it's you know something that's really not a problem anymore, but like that's something that we definitely going to be concerned about going forward. Finding a way to find a defensive tackle in this draft class. It's kind of an interesting situation to see what happens here. You know, however, the third place where I think the Browns are going to have to make a, a selection in this draft class is going to be at cornerback. This seems to be a little bit better situation than what's going to happen at defensive tackle. There seem to be more than a couple of players who would fit into the double G scheme here in Cleveland. In fact, staying at four and picking Denzel Ward seems like a very good option for the Browns. However, I've seen it mocked several times. Oliver out of Colorado at the top of round two. And this seems like a great selection with his length and skill set. But then again, there are no shortages of options really for the Browns at quarterback in this draft class. You have Jair Alexander and Hughes out of um, Central Florida, I believe. And then, of course, Josh Jackson out of Iowa. There seem to be several solid options at cornerback in this draft. For me, I would like at least one of those guys. The very least by 232 to fill in at cornerback and to help this defense to become a little more solid on the outside. Now, after these three needs first, left tackle, defensive tackle, and additionally, the cornerback position, we also need to do something at the offensive skill position yet again in the draft class. So, for me, this wide receiver class, I guess I would say it's not that good at the top and just not that full of options for the Browns to add all the way down as well. For me... There's, of course, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, as well as Anthony Miller, who stick out as productive op- sticks out as a productive option out of Memphis, I suppose. As much as I like these two guys, St. Brown and uh, Anthony Miller, and I like them both, 
I am definitely a DJ Moore guy. I want DJ Moore because I want to move on from Coco Coleman. <laughs> Moore is an explosive playmaker, a tackle breaker, and, and I'm not sure what the Browns are going to get, if the Browns are going to have a chance to get him at any type of a value. But I absolutely love DJ Moore. I love watching him with the with the ball in his hands, and I love watching him break tackle after tackle after tackle and run like his hair is on fire. I love that guy. And Anthony Miller's another one who seems to be able to catch everything as well. He measured a little bit bigger than I thought he would, and uh, there's not the speed testing on him as he was dealing with injuries at the Combine, but on tape, he looks plenty fast enough. You know, I feel a little bit less inclined to add St. Brown with Jeff Janice on the roster. But he may be a better value where he ends up being selected. So I'll keep an open mind on him, especially thinking back to his year of production when he had Deshaun Kaiser as a quarterback. Man, that guy was absolutely amazing that year. You know, after those guys, the guy who I feel uh, has kind of, there's a couple of guys who I feel like kind of under the radar prospects at wideout. I want to talk about one guy who reminds me a little bit of the prospect that um, set the valve was coming out of Princeton. And that's Justin Watson, a wide receiver coming out of Penn, University of Penn, who was incredibly productive in the Ivy League, ran a sub 4-5-40 and measures at 6-3-2-15. Uh, to me, a guy like this seems like he'd be a wonderful option at wideout here in Cleveland. The other favorite that I have that's kind of a sleeper under the radar guy is a guy out of Southern Mississippi named Corey Robertson. This guy had one of the goofiest gauntlet runs I think I've ever seen. It looked like he fell down a couple of times. And it really wasn't very pretty to watch. But at the same time, turn on his tape. He is a monster. And I wish he had tested slightly faster. He ran around 4.56, 4.57. But he seems like the kind of guy who, if you give him a crease, he will punish you. He will find a way because he is such a fierce competitor. Additionally, from Southern Miss. Okay, yeah, I got to pivot here because I want to talk a little bit about pump returners and kick returners. But additionally, his partner from Southern Miss is a guy named Ito Smith. For me... One of the low-key needs on this team is that pump returner, kick returner, where we haven't had a guy who really scared or troubled the opposition since the days of Travis Benjamin. I mean, gone are the days of consultant Josh Cribbs causing people to angle kick out of bounds. But Ito Smith is just the type of guy who could be a star on returns. The other guy I like for that role is another running back guy named... Martez Carter, who is absolutely electric out of Grambling. Take a minute and check out some of the tape of these guys. Edo Smith and Martez Carter, they are the guys that I like to have on special team, troubling the likes of Tabor now relocated to another city. The last position that really interests me is at running back, and I know Edo Smith and Martez Carter both are running backs, but right now, right now, If Saquon Barkley was available at four, and I know people don't really like the idea of taking running back so early, but if we stayed put, Saquon Barkley was available at four, we do not have a player, a dude like that on our roster. 
And if he wasn't there, or if we traded back, or went another direction, which would be okay with me as well. There are other players out there that could really fill in and do some of the same things that Barkley could do as well. People talk a lot about Darius Geis, and I think that guy is fine. But I kind of think that as much as people talk about getting him at the beginning of the second round, I'm pretty sure you're going to have to trade up from 33 if you want to secure the rights to drafting that guy. And at the same time, I also like Sony Michelle maybe even a bit better as a fit on this roster. I like him a bunch. And Nick Chubb as well. Nick Chubb is a huge value. People are sleeping on him due to his injury history, but if you didn't like these guys or had a problem or couldn't find a way to target these guys, there's also great value a little bit later in the draft with guys like Freeman and Rashad Penny. There are a bunch of good backs this year that are going to be available at really nice places. It's a lot like the tight end was last year in the draft. Now, for me, I think Michelle fits best, and I've liked Michelle for quite a bit of time. I just like watching the dude's tape. It's a little bit, it's actually kind of surprising to me that he ran the way that he ran. It's, and it's, his time wasn't so bad, but you just thought, as electric as he looked on the field, that he would just be even faster when he got to the combine. He didn't have the kind of like eye-popping numbers, but to me, Michelle seems like the best fit here in Cleveland right now for the team. He's a guy who can really help his squad. Now, on the periphery, there's also defensive end, safety, and tight end. And there are a couple players here in this draft class who I like at defensive end. I mean, people like Bradley Chubb a lot. And I like his tape. I like the way he defends a run, but obviously the three cone is what it is. And I feel like it's still a luxury for this team. And though a lot of people like Harold Landry, I actually like a little bit more the prototypical size and speed of Marcel Davenport or Marcus Marcel, Marcus Davenport with his freakish size and quickness. He's certainly a raw player, but I feel like he'd be the kind of value with all the upside in the world that we could really capitalize by sneaking up in the end of the first round to pick up a guy like this. And at safety, you know, I really don't feel like I fell in love with any of the safety prospects watching them. I mean, obviously you fell in love, you fall in love with the numbers that Troy Apke uh, was able to generate at the combine. And I definitely like Justin Reed as well. Although I don't think he'll be available at 33. And I kind of feel like even with Reed, with especially with uh, Randall now in the fold and, and playing the free safety role, I feel like it would be better to spend the capital on a player who would fit a more pressing need for us. I mean, last, I would say, at tight end, there is, uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch the film of Godair. I mean, Gesicki is, is okay, but for me, Godair, do yourself a favor and watch that guy beast out all over the field. Godair. I mean, we don't have measurables on him, but just looking at him, he's a South Dakota just looks so dangerous and I'd rather have him than take Reed at 33 or 35 if he should be available there so in summation I would just say take a look at these guys on tape see what you think left tackle would be McGlinchey and Brandon Parker defensive tackle Taven Bryant by the V of course you guys I'm sure have seen this guy and I'm, I'm also looking at her. I got to do a little bit more research on Hurst as well, but 
We'll take a look at Hurst to see what he could do to help us out at defensive tackle. Cornerback, please. One of the top corners is an absolute must in this class. They have to do something to add a corner, be it Ward, Oliver, or Jackson. Oliver, to me, seems like the guy. At wide receiver, DJ Moore, please, 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 please add DJ Moore. But if not DJ Moore, St. Brown, Anthony Miller, Corey Robertson, or Justin Watson. And finally, at defensive end, I'm looking at uh, Marcus Davenport. For me, that's the guy I really want. And don't sleep on Ito Smith or Martez Carter as a kick returner, pump returner prospect to make the Browns scary again on special teams. Okay, and with that, we should probably put this episode in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to make the DBN network a part of your day. Please leave a comment in the comment section as it helps to facilitate discussion with you, the best fans in all the professional sports. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Thelonious Seven, on the DBN Network. Take care. Gasson is kneeling at the 17, 37-yard attempt. The kick is up. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double overtime. 23-20, and the stadium is gone for sure. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. 
Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.